Welcome to the Border Collie Gig Podcast. I'm your host, Martina, obsessed like you about Border Collies and dog training. Follow me to know more about this amazing breed and to learn from many inspiring dog professionals on how to make your training journey a success. Hello, Border Collie Geeks, and welcome back to a new episode of the podcast. Um, today we have a very special guest, um, someone that is well known not only in the UK but all around the world for his 31 years experience training dogs both face-to-face, online, in conferences. Um, Kamal Fernandez has owner of different breeds, uh, Belgian, Malinois, Border Collie, Boxers, recently Schnauzer and other breeds that he will tell us about. Um, and is is um, the first trainer guest um, talking about competitive obedience, discussing with me competitive obedience, which is a sport I really love and that I don't do much anymore, but is the sport I've done for many years with my dogs. Welcome, Kamal. Thank you very much for asking me and it's a pleasure to talk to you as always. Yeah, we had a quick chat about obedience in the past, but we never actually met yeah. yet. It's something that I have to. No, no. Yeah, I know. We, I have to. Every, you know, I keep looking at workshops around here yeah, and yeah, every time. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, I can't. But we'll get together, and now we will train Absolutely. together one day. Yeah. Hopefully, How are you? Yeah, hopefully, yeah. I'm well. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me onto this podcast. It's always nice to have these conversations about you know, things that I'm passionate about and certainly Border Collies and obedience are definitely two of my passions. So thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. And I know that you, we talk, we'll talk about Border Collies and we'll talk about obedience. I'd like to start talking about you first, though, and just introduce yeah. yourself. Um, most of the people that are listening will know you, but there will be people that don't know you. So just give a bit of introduction, yeah. what you've done, what you do in life and a bit about your dogs mm-hmm. as well. Okay, brilliant. So um, I've been... As uh, Martina explained at the beginning of the, the opening, I've been training dogs since, uh, for, well, for a long while, for 31 years. And I've had a very broad and diverse career in dogs. Uh, I've been lucky in the opportunities I've had. So, um, you know, primarily I've competed in competitive obedience at um, quite a high level, um, having dogs qualified for crafts. Um, my primary vocation is a dog sports coach. So I've coached other people to um that level the elite level of sport including world championship level um and i also um obviously deal with dog behavior uh, issues or uh, behavior issues with dogs um everything from the dog that doesn't come back to more intense uh cases of aggression and etc um I, my i live currently in sunny sussex with my 10 dogs of uh different breeds um and uh, as i said um my i'm very lucky in that i've done a lot of different things within my career, spoken at conferences, you know, television work, etc. So I've really, I've really been blessed, I have to say. Yeah. So what kind of dogs do you have at the moment? Because I, I listed a few, but give us a brief of yeah. all their yeah. names so, and who they are and what age. Okay. All right. So I have, okay, let me go from the biggest top then. So <laughs> I have Super, um, who is uh, my uh, seven-year-old Border Collie. He's the foundation of my line of Border Collies that I breed now for dog sports, along with um, my female um, dog, Fire. She, so Fire and Super were my foundation dogs that I bred, which created the line that I now breed, my Fire type of Border Collies. Um, I own several of Fire's daughters. So Fire uh, um, produced Mighty, um, Great and Hottie and Reset. So I have, those are my six Border Collies. Um, I also have a Jackapoo called Sugar. 
who's just, um, you know, a, a great family pet. Um, she doesn't do any sports, etc. but she's worth her weight in gold in terms of my behavioural stuff. I lose, use her a lot of stooging. Um, she's a brilliant little dog. I have my Belgian Malinois jungle, um, who is two years old. I have my um, oldest dog that I own is my 13-year-old German Spitz. He did agility um, quite well. He got up to grade six before he had to retire because of um, cruciate strains. And um, my youngest dog is my giant schnauzer. It's the first I've had of that breed. Um, and he is now 11 months. So um, a real eclectic mix of dogs uh, and different dog breeds. So it really does, um, it, it makes interesting living and training, I have to say. Yeah, because, you know, I, I'm quite a border collie. You know, I've got three collies. I've had four in all my life. I've had all dogs only for mm -hmm. 17 years now. And mm -hmm. I do feel sometimes the need, well, I've got two, three toddlers now, so that gives me a bit of variety, mm -hmm. although they're very similar. I do sometimes feel the need to have different breeds because I think that it, that will help me training collies better because my specialty is training collies mm -hmm. at the moment. I specialize in that. Mm -hmm. But sometimes actually mm -hmm. going to other breeds helps you to see your breed probably from a different point of view or help you improving Absolutely. some parts of your, of your training yeah. that will improve then Definitely. who you are as the trainer. And yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I think, you know, um, Border Collies are a phenomenal breed of dog in that they are so, not all of them, but the, a lot of them are so predisposed to wanting to work and wanting a vocation, whereas a lot of the other breeds, um, not that they're not capable of being successful in dog sports, but they need a very different approach to training them. Um, border Collies find, you know, the tasks that we want for dog sports, they f so find them so self-reinforcing that it makes our job that little bit easier. Um, and th the fact that Border Collies by nature um, like repetition is a huge asset for dog sports. You know, you can, you know, train something, you know, three or four times more with a Border Collie than you would with another breed of dog. So I, I think that, you know, Border Collies, Border Collies and Malinois are probably the only two breeds I would always have one of. All the other dogs I've owned, and I've owned 22 dogs in total, Mm -hmm. of i think i worked out it was about 10 different breeds of dogs um border collies and malinois are the only two breeds i would always own i would i would have a another breed like i'd have a giant schnauzer i've owned a labrador i've owned a boxer um i wouldn't have probably um my, my schnauzer is lovely and i would possibly have another one of those but all the other breeds i've always ever wanted one to experience that journey but border collies and malinois are just so my type of breed it's their intensity it's their work ethic it's their energy levels um which i really really love and it matches my personality to be honest yeah yeah definitely and uh, so you mentioned already twice you know the sport the border collie how important is and you know i find um there are other border collie trainers out there so I'm, i i specialize in collies and mm -hmm. all the quirk things mm -hmm. that we're going to talk about but mm -hmm. how important is actually be a sport trainer to understand dog behavior because i find that a lot of there's a lot of trainers out there that done pet training all their life they're not actually gone into mm -hmm. sport mm -hmm. training how much do you think it's mm -hmm. important as a trainer to understand better behavior problems who actually have a background in sport yeah yeah i i think that for some reason i don't think this was certainly when i first started training uh there wasn't this quite the split that there is now in sports trainers versus behavior slash domestic pet training and for me, that's a real uh, disservice because dog training is dog training. And I think that to get the best out of any dog, you need to understand both 
the behavior of that dog and the specifics of that breed, but also providing them with an outlet, which may be in the form of dog sports. So it's like um, the two communities don't ever think to come together and have a sort of like a, 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 um, a meeting of minds of going, hey, I've got this border collie, it has this issue. Wouldn't it be great if we channel that issue that is now currently problematic into something that's gonna provide an outlet for that dog's brain and energy and you know personality? Um, so I think that it's a shame that there isn't more crossover. I mean, I often get a lot of sports trainers will refer issues to me um, because they feel that they don't have the knowledge, which is, you know, it's great that they're not trying to deal with something they're not comfortable with. I think that's a good thing. Um, but like reactivity, you know, over arousal issues, aggression, domestic issues. To me, they're fundamental dog training um, uh, challenges that, if you have an understanding of it can really help you get the best out of your clients um, dogs I mean a lot of my most successful clients have been dogs that have come through my pet literally first-time dog owners never owned a dog before in their whole life walked into my training um, classes and they went from having a dog that was thrown out of classes for being reactive um, and was the advice from the vet was this dog needs to be medicated to going on to win at crafts level so um, you know, it is possible if you understand, because our, with that specific dog I'm thinking of, we didn't bother about skills, we worked on behavior, we worked on confidence, which underpinned the dog going on to be a very successful sports dog. So the two things do have, definitely have overlap. Um, and I think it's really, really um, important to understand both. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do agree. And um, it's also, you know, we need to have kind of as trainers a, a good balance between life and, and work. So I find it very Absolutely. hard actually, because I work with a lot mm -hmm. of pet people now and I would love, mm -hmm. I see some dogs that could be potentially amazing in sport, oh, but gorgeous. I don't have the time yes. to give them mm -hmm. both at the same time. Yep. And sometimes yep. you know, even, and sometimes it's difficult to get pet people to understand that kind of how important is that that amazing dog, if it can be channeled into a sport, you know, half of your problem will go away, but I still find sometimes it's difficult to, to understand because so many people have pets now, so many people have dogs now, and there are, I think in the last probably few mm -hmm. years mm -hmm. that has gone massive. Mm -hmm. um, and and mm -hmm. I don't have the time to do that, so, so I, sometimes I have to refer mm -hmm. as well. You know, do you want to do agility? Fine, I've got a trainer for you, I don't yeah. have time to do agility with you, yeah. but this dog yeah. would be amazing. Yeah. You want to do hoopers, there's a great thing yeah. about hoopers now yeah. that is more accessible yeah. to yeah. people. So yep. yeah, it's yep. it's amazing. And what I still teach a bit my my students is some work and a bit of obedience, the basics. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think it's so important. Yep. And yeah, and I think that with colleagues as well and their prey drive and their energy level, understanding yep. actually how sport training works help absolutely. you understand it. Yep. Teaching how to yeah. control those prey drives. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think you know, for me certainly, I would say the vast majority of behavioural cases I deal with it's because the dog is a just doesn't have an outlet it doesn't have it doesn't have enough stimulation i think often people misunderstand what their dog's needs are especially some of the working breeds um you know like even your cockapoos they're half spaniel you know and a lot of them are half working spaniel which makes you know not necessarily the most easy of pets if you don't provide them with some outlet for that energy um you know i, I certainly around where i live now I get a lot of border collies that are from local farms. So the farmers breed litter, they have surplus puppies, they take the one that they want, they sell them into mm -hmm. pet homes, you know, to people that 
essentially with the best intentions haven't really done their due diligence about what they're signing up for. If you're taking a border collie that's meant to be running eight to 12 hours a day um, and then putting it in a situation where it isn't having its needs met, um, not for any malicious intent, but just because of lack of knowledge, um, that can be a real recipe for disaster. You know, the dog then transfers that prey drive onto vehicles and cyclists and kids and scooters and da 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 And before you know it, you have a dog that's deemed reactive. Actually, it's just an understimulated border collie. You know, um, so I think it's really, really important to understand that there is a place for. And to be honest, I, I always encourage, like, all my, whenever I did pet classes, I always, I always treated them as if they were going to be the next craft champion because it meant that I trained their foundations to a certain standard. And if they did dabble in dog sport, they had a really good um, basis. Whereas my experience with a lot of pet training is um, people just aspire to have the basics, but don't train it with enough detail. So when they do, if they do find they want to do more with their dog, they have to almost abort the plan and start again. Whereas a lot of my, well, a lot of my clients just built on from there. Um, and I think the other thing is, there, for me, dogs, add so much to my life and uh, and dog sports has added so much to my life it's really enhanced my relationship with them so it's for me I want people to have that really full 360 experience with their dogs and that there is so many great things you don't have to do it competitively but it's like you know taking my daughter like for example I mean I've got to pick up my daughter later on um, and she's got swimming this evening and she goes to gym and she goes to ballet and she does martial arts and she does all these activities it's a great way for her to learn life skills, to develop confidence, physical strength, emotional resilience, um, you know, sociability. All those skills that she's learning for life are being created via sports and games and activities. And if we parallel that back to our dogs, there's so much that we can be gained from doing a dog sport with your dog. You know, I, 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 not necessarily competitively, but scent work, you know, like hoopers um you know things that are like even agility you know just things that are interesting for your dog that gives them and you that um that, ex that, that bonding experience yeah with my students i always call it the you know the the training relationship so the the dogs needs mm -hmm. to know that they they are working for you sort of so yeah. especially the collies yeah. i find that the collies the relationship with the colleagues gets strong enough for, for them to be relying on you when you get a training, when you get a, a, tra a working yeah. relationship with them. Uh, they need Absolutely. it. And I, yeah, when I got my first collie, Moss is nearly 12 now. He was the second collie, but mm -hmm. he was uh, my first working collie. My first, mm -hmm, first mm -hmm. collie, she was from Show Lines and Mixed Sport Lines. And yeah. she was easier. She could work or not work. She would love to work, but she could not work. But Moss yeah. couldn't not work. And I yeah. remember my, yeah. my friend, also my sheepdog trainer, said to me, I know that it sounds like you, it looks like you don't have a relationship now, but because you need a working relationship with this dog. So work with him. It will take months, yeah. work with him. Yeah. And once he knows that you are the one that provides work for him, then your relationship will change. And that stayed Absolutely. with me, um, which was my yeah. second yeah. dog. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it was new yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so. That's so, so true. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. <laughs> no, no, you're okay. You're going to Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I was um, just let's go back a bit talking about competitive obedience because um, you know not everyone mm -hmm. might know what competitive obedience is. 
When I yep. say co obedience, yep. a lot of the time people think the obedience class. So I have to explain to them, no, no, yep. I'm talking about competitive obedience. So what is competitive obedience? Yep. We'll talk about that a bit. Maybe just briefly, what is the difference yep. between the one we have in the UK and the yep. one that is a bit more okay. around the world? Yeah. Yes, perfect. Yes. So competitive obedience is the simplest way to explain it. It is the canine equivalent of dressage. So we do various exercises uh, in our test that test the dog's um, responsiveness to cues, their ability to be technically accurate. Uh, and we like them to do it with a level of flair, although that's not necessarily a requirement. We do like it on a personal level. Certainly, I like my dogs to work with enthusiasm and joy. Um, so the exercises include retrieving where your dog has to pick up items on cue. Your dog has to do what we call heel work, where the dog walks by your side, preferably, again, a stylized. That's quite a stylized behavior where the dog looks up at you uh, for a period of time and, and has to also maneuver for example through weaves and through round circle and then they have to do positions in or as you move along and stop um distance control where the dog's left um across one side of the competitive area and goes to the other you go to the other when then you have to give them various positional changes um a send away where the dog is sent to a designated area which could be you know, 30 40 foot away um and scent discrimination where the dog has to identify your scent amongst other items and bring it back to you. So there's quite a lot to competitive obedience. Um, and it is definitely my, I've done probably all the dog sports, or my, I've done a lot of dog sports. Um, and it's definitely the, the sport that I keep circling back to and I'm most passionate about. It appeals to my mind because I'm quite into detail in things and um, I like te the technical aspect of things. Um, and obedience definitely has a, a heavy proportion of technical behaviors that you have to teach. It's about having long behavior chains for the science geeks out there. So there's quite a lot of complexity because we have to complete a lot of our tests without reinforcement. Um, so from a training point of view, there's quite a lot of skill to it. Um, from a spectator point of view, um, it's very much an acquired taste, to be truthful with obedience. I said, and it sometimes can be difficult to understand the technical aspects unless you're not have some level of knowledge of the sport. Um, and that's where often obedience in comparison to the other sports gets somewhat of a negative um, press because the other sports are very easy to understand. Your dog goes around agility, it knocks the bar very black and white. An obedience dog, two dogs can do what appears to be the same thing but one dog can use, lose considerably more than the other. And there, there is a subjective element to obedience. For me, it is about the intense relationship that we form with our dogs and that real connection and the dog being almost telepathic in your communication, certainly in the exercise where you like heel work, where the dog has to walk by your side and you can't say anything to it, is very much about the dog being tuned to your physical movement and balance. Um, so in the UK, we have a distinct set of exercises and the other version of obedience, there is various codes, I have to say, across the world. So in America, they do a slightly different version of obedience. In Canada, same again. In Australia, New Zealand, do a similar test to us, but Australia is very different. And you have what you call FCI obedience. So the FCI is the governing body for all European um, kennel clubs. It's the overriding powers. And they have their own version of obedience, which is very different to UK obedience. There is some similar exercises, but a lot of it is differently. Uh, it's very different in what they require the dog to do. For me, it's no not about good, better, or worse. It's just a different sport altogether, and it's another activity that you can do with your dog. Now, at this moment in time, and Martina and I have had several conversations about this. There is no British 
FCI team, which is very unfortunate um, because the um, because the British version of obedience is so prevalent in this country, the feeling was there was no need for us to um, assimilate to um, the FCI, even though that in agility in IGP, we are given um, a uh, an extended invitation, as it were. Um, for me, that's a shame because it would be amazing to send the British team to the FDI World Championships in Europe and then compete at that level. And um, there's many a great dog trainer over here that could easily, you know, um, um, train their dogs to that standard that is required and it would be fantastic. But again, that's politics, that's, that's sports in general, whether it's obedience, agility, tennis, football, there is always politics that um, affect these decisions. For me, there is no, it's not about being better or worse. They are very different sports. They both have a lot of pull towards them um, and you, they are both subjective. So you need to have a level of understanding of what is required um, in the rules to understand what it's being marked for. Um, in both codes, and I'd say this is common in all dog sports, Border Collies are a very dominant breed, um, partly because of the things I mentioned of the aptitude to training, but further to that, we've actually then um, taken specific border collies and then bred them specifically for the task at hand. So they have physical, mental and temperamental attributes that would make training and dog sports easier for the trainer slash owner. Yeah, you're seeing that a lot now in sports. And you know what? A few years ago, I was against it. I was like, no, border collie has to be working dogs and a working dog will mm -hmm. make a good sport anyway. But actually, now that I'm taking myself out of the dog sport and out of the sheepdog mm. training a bit, I stopped with my dogs as well. And I'm actually doing completely different things. We should send to work more with my dogs now. I actually see how that kind of breeding for specific sports actually does help the dog, not mm -hmm. just, you know, I, I was thinking in the past it's just for the handler, the handler wants, but actually does help the dog. If you yeah. breed the dog specifically built for agility, that dog will have less stressful time learning how to be flexible on an obstacle and if you yeah. bring the dog that has absolutely. a nice confirmation absolutely. for obedience that dog will not have yeah. to work too much on having a nice yeah. raised head and a nice pacing yeah. he'll work so yeah. yeah 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 i think my personal philosophy on breeding is i believe that the two pillars of which you should breed any dog is first and foremost temperament and secondly on par with that would be health and those two things for me can greatly help or hinder that dog's ability to function in life and to be successful in anything that you do. Definitely. So my personal feeling is that if you train a dog with a sound balanced temperament and a baseline good structure, it should be able to adapt to any sport or any lifestyle that you put it in. Now you can have sport specific dogs. You have dogs that definitely very agility um, bias that their conformation is probably more finer, their slighter build and so forth and so forth. The same with, say, um, um, show dogs. You can have dogs that are built. My personal feeling is that we should be aspiring to create a dog that um, should be able to excel at everything. But if, God forbid, that dog isn't able, for whatever reason, it loses a leg or its eyesight, that dog can instantaneously slot into a domestic life with ease. It shouldn't be that the dog is so on the extreme end of any end of the spectrum, it can't function without that, that necessity. And if I'm truthful, I would say, you know, having owned Border Collies for, you know, 30 years, um, 
I would say that, that, that there is pros and cons of having very sports specific bred dogs in that the desire and the necessity and the needs of the sport can often overshadow those baseline attributes of health and temperament. And for me, that's very, very short-sighted. So in short, dogs of old that we used to have, they were brilliant sports dogs, but they had that fantastic sound temperament and they were nice dogs to be around. They weren't, um, they were, and that was largely genetics because they went to, you know, certainly in obedience. Um, and those dogs at that time, a lot of those dogs, because of going into agility as well so you had very sports specific dogs and they were very talented and they had they were trained differently which almost was a test of the temperament but they were able to excel in anything so it would be quite commonplace to have a litter of puppies one would go to an agility home one would go to an obedience home one would go to a working trials home and one would be a pet dog and all those dogs um would from fantastic really really um high level sports dogs would be absolutely capable to alter alter and I think that what's happened is because we've become more sports focused and there is a lack, there is a misunderstanding between the distinction between drive and arousal. We have a lot of very highly aroused dogs that excel at sport, but don't necessarily have temperaments to function in day to day life, which for me is a real disservice to the breed. Yeah, I think that's 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 exactly what I think. So, have have you noticed a change, like a big change in in that kind of more dogs with issues nowadays to become to, to be able to be that kind of well balanced dog that can cope into a pet or just an urban urban life? You know, most of us yep. live yep. around an urban environment. Yep. We don't live in farms, so yep. most of those dogs yep. end up living yep. in a noise environment with a lot of dogs around people yep. and. Do you yep. notice a difference in the dogs that are bred? 150%. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'd say, you know, a lot of sports dogs now, because people are measuring a dog's ability and talent and worth by how fast it is or how manic or crazy it is, we're getting very highly strung dogs and dogs that are incredibly noise sensitive or incredibly emotion sensitive to the extreme. So those dogs um, certainly... Um, struggle when you take them out of that situation they struggle to just um be inverted commas normal and i think to me that's a real um disservice and i think definitely that's happened more and more and more so at one point certainly if you track back the history of border collies border collies was very much a specialist breed so um and, and they were successful in dog sports but there was very few um prominent breeders certainly if we look at say obedience obedience is an older sport than agility and in obedience, there was very distinct lines that you had. And there was um, certain breeders that bred them. There was one that was based in Dover in Kent, bred a lot of dogs, really successful in dog sports. There was another one from the West Country and they were very distinct. And if you knew, if you wanted a specific type of dog, you went to that very distinct line and you could absolutely predict you would get a certain look, certain type, a certain temperament. And all those dogs were very very work driven but they were very very they had the classic trait of a really good border collie in that you would ask people about them, what's he like to live with oh he's just quiet as a church mouse you never see him all day and that was a very common um personality trait but then what happened as all things and this has happened in many breeds across all all walks of life um people got them and started to breed them with either the lack of knowledge about the breed um and also bred them really for the wrong intentions, you know? And I think in doing so, we've now got 
a lot of sports dogs with, you know, quite major health problems and also major life temperament problems. It, for me, you should not have to take your puppy and socialise it with 101 things for it to be a nice dog. Yeah. So I, I, I being tra really transparent, I don't overly socialise all my puppies that I bred because I'm a strong believer in genetics and I believe if the dog has a baseline temperament, my role is not to mess it up. So I, I, I'm very like, I don't overexpose my puppies. I don't go, here's a small person, here's a this, here's a that. I just go, here's life. And the dogs will, if their genetics are sound, they will be fine. So, you know, one of the dogs that my, um, one of my bitches that I owned about, uh, she must've been about six months old. I um, took her to an agility show and it just so happened that I had to go and run a course and, and walk, sorry, walk a course. So I thought, oh God, I've got nobody with me. I'll tie her to a ring post and I went off. Well, there's agility going on adjacent to where she was. She's just lied up, curled up there, minding her own business. And you go, like, that dog had never been taught that. That wasn't training. That was just her temperament. And to this day, she'd be like that. She'd go, well, there's nothing to do with me. Why would I be? But yeah, if you switched her on master to work, you would be hard pressed to find a dog that had more drive and, and, and power and natural tenacity and, and speed, et cetera. But if you told her, no, I don't need you to do anything, she would just be like a little couch potato. And I think, and she's passed that same quality onto all her puppies. So I think that the, the emphasis on temperament and health as the two pillars of which you then breed dogs, and I don't think that's distinctly, um, that's not just border collies, that's dogs in general. Because, you know, having had a dog that had a major injury in his sports career, never really took off. If he had a, um, a temperament where he couldn't function in day-to-day -day life, he would have been a really, really, really difficult dog to be around. Um, so I think that as a collective, um, we should be really thinking about breeding sound dogs with good temperament and health because the other thing is if your dog is unhealthy that's going to affect people's lives you know if your dog has and i'm not saying we all do our best and we try and you can always have things go wrong um i think if you're transparent and not open and honest with people and you do the best you can um and you can look somebody in the eye and say listen this is everything i know um then you know you, you then it's a little bit of luck to be truthful martina you know but i think yeah, that yeah. Like, no, there is luck there is definitely luck to it as well you know you can just be unlucky you can just be unlucky and I've had that experience you know so um but you you from a breeding point of view and from a, a a dogdom point of view we should be having dogs that shouldn't be you know so sound sensitive that they hear a noise and they want to bolt for the hills we shouldn't have dogs with extreme prey drive where they they see something and they go ballistic and they want to redirect onto whoever's nearby you know um and i i get water colleagues are motion sensitive you know uh, but they should also have biddability and sensitivity so if that does happen you should be able to like redirect the dog onto something and very quickly change that dog from being but some you know some of the dogs that i've dealt with in certainly recent times they've been so extreme and the ironic thing is you know, if you went and watched the International Supreme Champion, you never see those dogs behaving like that. You never see, you know, International Supreme Champion Fido, Bob or Jim um, being behaving hysterically. It just wouldn't happen. So I, I think that, you know, I'm very, I love sports. I love dog sports. I love doing dog sports. I think that we need to develop more awareness and have these conversations of saying, you know, the sport shouldn't be the be all and end all. We should be breeding nice, stable dogs first and foremost.
Yeah, I do completely agree with you with the genetic part. You know, I had my last puppy is 22 months now, 21 months. He was born mm -hmm. in lockdown, November lockdown 2020. So he spent his mm -hmm. first month of his life in lockdown. Then they opened up a lockdown mm -hmm. in December. No, sorry, the second month of his life in lockdown. So he's not mm -hmm. seen anything in the important four weeks before mm -hmm. he came to me. Mm -hmm. Then I went to collect mm -hmm. him as soon as everyone went to, before Christmas 2020 out of lockdown, collecting mm -hmm. from Scotland, mm -hmm. middle of nowhere the owner was self-isolating for health issues so he's seen nothing yeah. he came here and then we mm -hmm. went into lockdown three weeks after for mm -hmm. the beginning of 2021 mm -hmm. so he's not had any of the experience of my other dogs and he's the easiest dog in the world so that is genetic yeah. you know yeah. i don't I, i've not done a good job yeah. because yeah. we couldn't do anything else i mean yeah. the good job was yeah. yeah you couldn't do but also um i think it, it was so sociable that actually not having people coming close to you not mm -hmm. having people to stroke him not having people to absolutely. let dogs that, approach yeah. because we had that absolutely yeah absolutely. helped him yeah because yeah. he would have yeah, become definitely. probably a very you know if if he had the chance to see people and, and dogs more because he was so sociable to the point that he didn't care about me and my treats yeah. and my toys when he yeah. saw a person yeah. dog he yeah. would have been one of those dogs barking at dogs because of frustration. Yeah. I want to go and yeah. say, see them. Yeah. But that distance yeah. we had in the beginning of 2021 helped. Yeah, it was a blessing. Yeah. And he's such yeah. an easy dog. He's not scared of anything. He's, he's yeah. such a nice yeah. dog to have around. And he's genetic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I Definitely. know mom, I know dad. I picked him yeah. because of mom and dad. That's it. Yeah. I didn't pick yeah. him, especially in the litter. Um, he was... Yeah the left between him and his brother and yeah. he had the blue yeah. eye I like yeah. the blue eye I have to say mm -hmm. I was guilty in picking a blue eye but I knew parents were top yeah. kind of temperament and health yeah yeah so yeah I, I do agree with you that genetic you know yeah. a lot of people say socialize 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 mm. with collies actually yeah. if you think the yeah. history of the breed mm -hmm. probably socializing socializing is not the best thing well one they... of the most absolutely one of the most successful border collie breeders in this certainly in this country and he's probably I don't, I've lost track of how many champions he's bred or indirectly bred in all the dog sports okay and he's he we have a very good mutual friend so I said to my mutual friend I said oh you know when I was thinking about breeding dogs could you like arrange for me to meet you know this dog training this dog breeding guru and allow me to pick his brains so she's like, yeah, great. We'll go down there for lunch. Da, da, da. Anyway, so I was there on tenterhooks asking him about, oh, you know, so what's your secret to breeding the dogs? And I was expecting some sort of like really like intricate, um, com <laughs> complicated response. And he said, well, I find a nice dog. And so I put it to a nice bitch. And I was waiting for the punchline. He said, well, that's it. He says, he says, oh, right. I said, look at pedigrees afterwards. He said, but if it's a nice dog and it's got a good temperament, it wants to work and the female has the same attributes, he said, then the logic says the puppies are going to all be the same. And I was like, oh, and at the time he had a litter of puppies and um, he openly said, oh, he said, oh, my, you know, he, he owns a kennel and his kennel staff really looked after them. And they, they were in the, the end of his kennel block in what would probably be like the washroom area. It wasn't anything extravagant, very basic, sawdust on the floor. And they hadn't had at that point any toys. I think they were about four or five weeks old. Anyway, and he, he said, oh, let's go and have a look. He said, it'd be great. No, I haven't really seen them much of them. I've had nothing to do with them. And we walk in there and he's had a, got a load of toys, chucked them on the floor. Puppies all play with them brilliantly, like all interact with them, super peopley, da-da. And he says, oh, he says, and he was very like, oh, I've met many people. It's nice that they like you. And he was so basic in his thinking. And yet, and funny enough, 
several of those pups I knew went on, they grew on. They were incredible dogs, absolutely incredible dogs. Their temperaments, their working ability. And, you know, he never took his pup dogs off site to train them. He said, well, if they know their job, he said they shouldn't need to take them. And you, he didn't apply any of the principles that you would of science, you know, like generalizing. Blah, blah. He said, well, if they know what they've got to do, he said a field to field to field. If I point them in that direction, tell them to do something, they should do it. And it was such a basic, uncomplicated response. And you got, yeah, because his dog's genetics were so good. And if you looked at the, you know, the, the breeding of these dogs, they were so sound, they were so robust and you could give them to anybody and they would still flourish. And, I, and his dogs are behind my dogs. And, and it was one of the reasons why I, I got super was because his line is so, is his super sire was a dog that he bred. And I, I knew I wanted that genetic strength in for my foundation dogs. Um, and you can, and so my dog that he's subsequently obviously been used and produced on litters, absolutely that that you can absolutely see that trait at like several generations on you can see that like super is a gift an absolute genius of a dog you could there's things that dog can do i have not trained that dog to do you know and i will openly say i haven't taught him to do that he could just do it like tracking mm. like I, I think i showed him once tracking and it was like he it was like taking a border collie and pointing it at sheep and going do you know what those fluffy white things are he just knew what to do you know um so you know, and i think that again is genetic so whether it's dog sports or life and his temperament super's temperament is just phenomenal like i he doesn't he's sound he's like he's social he's he he's great with dogs he's great with people um etc etc so um you know he's he's and that's down to good genetics and i think that that's really really important to um consider when you when you get a dog whether it's a pet, pet domestic dog anybody listening is do your due diligence on the dogs that you pick. Do, don't just look necessarily at the father and mother. If you can find out about the uncles and aunties and the grandparents, that's going to really put you, and that's applicable to all dogs. Um, you know, do your due diligence. And the amount of people that rush into getting a dog and then pay the price of not doing that due diligence, uh, honest to God, it's like, and it's, you've got the dog now. What are you going to do with it for the next 12 to 15 years? You know, so that bit of research is, is so critical. Yeah, that's what we try to always say. Yeah, in every every time I have a guest or even myself talking about border collies, I always say mm -hmm. that and you know, try to research, try to go and see the parents, mm -hmm. spend time with the puppies. But then I think it's so hard with a person that gets the first dog and that's the main main people I get for training with difficult dogs are people that they just mm -hmm. wanted a dog. They went out there, yeah. they found the yeah. litter available, they brought the puppy home thinking any mm -hmm. puppy is the same. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. yeah, what what and and they're mostly farm dogs, you know. They're not even we're yeah. not even talking yeah. about about. Um, well, they are mostly farm dogs, but I wonder how much nowadays farmers just breed to sell puppies as well, just as a form I of think income. So. I, I mean, to be truthful, again, that's something that's very much changed. Like years ago, you could go to a farm and get a, a bought a puppy from the international supreme champion for twenty five quid, you know, and because they just they went well, we don't want the puppy it's surplus required now. You know, when you're talking about the skips and sales, thousands and thousands of dogs, because, you know, and, and I think the fact that a lot of dogs now are exported abroad has totally changed the market. And I think that that's influenced people breeding. You know, at the end of the day, you've got to look at it quite callously. You know, if a puppy or a dog is worth £5,000 or £10,000, you know, you have six of those in the litter. That's a very healthy income. So I, I think that that's definitely influenced breeding. I think that that's something that, you know collectively people need to be mindful of um you know there, there is there's so many things about breeding that i think that we could do better um but we can only have, these conversations are really important 
Yeah, definitely. I don't know if you know anything about other countries that breed, but I know something about my, you know, apart from Italy, Italy doesn't have a lot of requirement yeah. when you breed, but our neighbors, Switzerland, um, yeah. when you're breeding a dog with a pedigree, at least one of the two dogs in every breed has to have, be proved uh, safe yeah. on gunshots. Yeah, yeah. I think, and, and, and there's a lot of like, the, a lot of the Scandinavian countries and a lot of the other, they have such a stringent requirement for breeding. I think it's great. I'm not, it's not yeah. infallible, but it's a starting point, you know, that the dog has a baseline temperament, you know, of being yeah. sound and healthy. Okay, so, um, yeah, um, just quickly, I wanted your insight, just a very brief thing about um, collies and movement sensitivity, because that's something that we talk about yep. a lot yep. in the podcast. And yep. Um, yep. how this relates to obedience, is it something that you okay. still think that can help with obe in training obedience, because that's your main thing? Yeah. Have you found... Yeah. That, that can help dogs like collies that have also noise yeah. sensitivity problem, um, sorry, movement sensitivity problem. Yeah. So obviously, you know, a lot of the pastoral breeds have a desire to uh, react to or respond to things that move. That's the yeah. trait that's been brought out and genetically selected for. In a lot of instances, if not channeled, it can be a hindrance, but for me, it's an absolute thing. So the general and the very shorthand version is, I, the, the phrase we use is don't let the eye escape you. So when my puppies are young, I make sure that they only get their fix and their, 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 yeah, their fix of movement from me or things that I can control. There is a natural point in their adolescence when they realize, oh, that other dog is far more you know, interesting than you to chase. And then that's when I do some remedial work with them. But um, it is absolutely an asset because it, when you channel that dog's desire to uh, focus on movement, that's really, really super attention and focus. Um, often what happens is, is when people allow the eye to escape them, it then gets attached to something that's unhealthy, cars, people, blah, 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 other dogs. And then that's when it becomes problematic. So I'm very pedantic about where my border collies, what they watch, what they see and what access they have to motion. And as far as I possibly can, I control it. So I, I rear my dogs in a very structured manner, hopefully. The, the reason being is that I don't want them to rehearse inappropriate behaviour. Um, my last two border colleagues are very, very, very motion sensitive. And I had to really work with, with certainly with the, the female. Um, and there was a definitely a point when she was about nine months old and she got very, very into my Malinois where she was like, no, screw you. She's far more interesting. And I had to separate them and walk them individually, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but now her attention is fantastic around other dogs and people and she's got a brilliant recall. But it, it can be absolutely a hindrance if not, if you don't understand that's part of the makeup of the breed. Be proactive. Don't let the eye escape you and make sure that you provide that motion for the dog. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. Thank you very much. I think it was right. um, it was My really pleasure. good to yeah to have your points. You know your view about the the genetic, the breeding, and everything because it's good to know yeah. that we have yeah we have the same ideas. But I'm sure that there will be time in the future to have you back, maybe to chat a bit more about border collies Perfect. and other things. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you very thank much. Thank you for thank you for having me, and I appreciate it. we had to um uh, call it a bit short, but it's been lovely talking to you, and I, I talk about border collies for hours. So I know. You. Thank you. Bye. All right, Martina. Take care. Speak soon. Thank you for listening to the Border Collie Geek podcast. If you want to know more about my work and how I can help you with your Border Collie, visit 
that'll do academy.com or follow me on Facebook and Instagram.